0: Is sure. She is yours. Sure. is This is
1: Erin Praiser Stafford with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. This episode of the Girls That Create podcast is brought to you by the Girls That Create website, where we provide parenting resources for raising creative girls while also encouraging greater female representation across the arts. Visit us at www.girlsthatcreate.com, where you'll find articles by some of our podcast guests including Dr. Michelle Borba, Jessica Leahy, Renee Trudeau, and many more. You can also sign up for the Girls That Create newsletter at www.girlsthatcreate.com slash newsletter. My guest today is filmmaker Christy Guevara Flanagan, whom I met when we worked on the film Wonder Women, The Untold Story of American Superheroines. Christy is the director of that award-winning documentary and many more notable works, including her latest project, Body Parts, which we're chatting about today. Body Parts traces the evolution of sex in film and television from a woman's perspective. It also uncovers the uncomfortable realities behind some of the most iconic scenes in cinema history and celebrates bold creators who are leading the way for change. Christy is an associate professor at UCLA's School of Theater, Film, and Television, where she heads the MFA directing documentary concentration. Welcome to Girls That Create, Christy Guevara Flanagan. Hello, happy to be here. I want to start off, you picked up a camera, your first camera in middle school. And uh, what drew you to film and inspired you to continue telling stories, especially in the documentary format?
2: Well, I had really liked the arts when I was a kid. My mom was really into theater and music, and I hadn't really found my niche, but I I thought I was a creative person. I liked writing a lot and writing creatively but when I picked up a camera and started you know taking photographs and then later a super eight camera I think that's just where things really clicked for me. I loved being behind the camera. I loved pointing the camera at the world around me and seeing things sort of differently through that lens and wasn't interested in scripts or actors or making things up. I just kind of wanted to wander around and film things, and I didn't know that that was documentary. I didn't Know that word existed at the time. I was just doing what I did, and it wasn't really until college that I realized there was this film form called documentary, where you talk to people about their lives and experiences, and you film the world around you. And it's been kind of my thing ever since. You know, I haven't I haven't strayed too far. I went to UC Berkeley as an undergrad, and even though I didn't make a lot of films there, I I studied film among other things and women's studies and ethnic studies and poli-sci and then realized after graduating that I definitely wanted to continue making films and I went to graduate school a few years later at San Francisco State to study film production and made my first documentary there.
1: When you were in film school, was there a specific documentary that really captured your imagination that made you just go, wow, this is an amazing way to tell stories or are there are several
2: yeah, I think I it was also new to me. I I hadn't really studied a lot of documentary <laughs> up until that point. But I, I I will say that I was really as an undergrad influenced by the works of Lourdes Portillo, Mexican American documentary filmmaker, and have kind of followed her career as I've matured. I just really enjoyed her style. She was doing really kind of political material, but often had levity and humor. She was in it, and she had also a certain amount of inventiveness in in the way that she approached filming and filmmaking, and I, I just found it charming and definitely was the first filmmaker that I sort of was like okay I, I see that and that I, I'm interested in the way she's doing things and I'm watching very closely.
1: And <laughs> Body Parts one of the things I appreciated was kind of how you open the film and that's with different characters who appear remembering when they kind of saw their first sex scene in a motion picture because I think that's what we can all relate to. I went back and forth either mine was Top Gun Or Dirty Dancing. I don't know which one, but I remember watching those at a slumber party and everyone was like, what is going on? And laughing and giggling and trying to figure this all out. But Dirty Dancing was like, but the dancing. So what was your first memory of seeing intimacy in a big budget film? I was kind of curious what your own personal memory was.
2: Well, I definitely remember seeing Blue Lagoon and oh, yeah. with Brooke Shields and seeing it at the movie theaters with my whole family, including my grandma, and just being really embarrassed about the nudity in it and that it was I guess I was pretty similar in age. She's a little bit older than me, but not that far off. And she was a minor at the time. And yeah, I just remember being embarrassed by it and curious about it and I also remember seeing some films on cable television and just kind of stumbling across films that had it wasn't so much about the graphicness of it but it was that they were clearly talking about sex and that there was some. I think there were some like comedies sort of like Mel Brooks comedies that Um, talked about sexuality and sex. And I just remember feeling like I didn't get the joke. I didn't know what they were. All the things that went over your head, yeah. Yeah, but I knew that there was something there and it always stuck with me.
1: Um, Body Parts is an extension of your shorter film, What Happened to Her, which you made about the trope of dead women in film and television. And again, I was thinking about back about my own things I've watched when I was younger. Twin Peaks being the first one that came to my mind. I think with a lot of people, remember the character of Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. What inspired the short and how did it evolve into this more thorough look at bodies in film?
2: Well, what happened to her was inspired, I would say, by David Lynch, who I seem to have a love-hate relationship with many of my films. And feeling like there was just this accumulation going on for me whenever I saw a dead woman at the center of a narrative more like Twin Peaks like there was a series or you know True Detective more recently where there was a dead girl and you had to figure out what happened to that girl and it sort of begins this unraveling of the community and exploration of you know the kind of the darker things lurking underneath the surface but it's such an easy cliche to reach for and so I every time I would they're like there's another show that has this dead woman and all these people have to figure out what's going on and it just was like I would click it off in my tick it off in my head every time I would read about one or see one and oftentimes you know these were interesting works um, on many levels but like what was it about that 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 had to be the story and to kind of percolate out from that, you know, a dead woman is the ultimate passive female. She's got no voice. She's um, no longer an actor and has no agency. And so I just found that really kind of troubling and intriguing at the same time. And at some point, it was something that had been in the back of my head for a long time. And at some point, I just was like, okay, I think I'm going to start pursuing this project and amassing all the films that reference dead women in some way and look for somebody who's played a dead body. And that was kind of how that film was born. At first, I thought it might be many different women who played dead bodies. But when I talked to Danny Deets, who's the voice in that film, She played the dead body in River's Edge. She had kind of this penultimate experience where she was not an established actor. She was, you know, barely teen. She was nude on screen. She had to get into death makeup over and over again because her body is decomposing. (laughs) And I just thought there was something really fascinating about being able to look at the images we see, but also the labor that goes behind them, and that there was some ways in which we, the audience, are those characters that we see on screen. I just really liked the way that came together and what happened to her, and I thought I would do three films, one about the representation of sex on screen and one about the representation of of labor and birth on screen. And my friend, Helen Hood Shear, approached me and said she wanted to work together on this project. And quickly, the film snowballed. the first, we were talking to body doubles. I'm really interested in the relationship of a body double to the actor that they're portraying. There's a lot of really fascinating labor implications there again i was really interested in the the kind of behind the scenes labor so body doubles were
1: typically not credited for years and years and years in the industry janet lee was what really surprised me i'm like wait that wasn't janet lee and psycho who knew i didn't know that at all
2: yeah and not credited of course you know then with that you're not paid as well you don't get residuals you're not recognized for your work and it's it was this kind of secret And it seemed like the message was that there was something shameful about it. And that's really where, you know, things just kind of spiraled out. And all of a sudden we had a feature. We were talking to actors who were talking about the decision of whether to do nudity and intimacy and how heavy and big of a decision it was and all the things that went into the making of that decision and all the different ways that you had to, when you're making that decision, what you were really agreeing to, especially in this digital age. You know, you're not just agreeing to be nude or do a sex scene in one film or TV show. You're having to agree to it existing out there ad nauseum um, in perpetuity
1: because of the digital age and the Internet. I thought it was interesting in watching it, and not only about how the body doubles of today and how, you know, um, another example you shared was had Haiti he- 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 In Game of Thrones, again, I was like, she wasn't it? What's in her? It was a body double with her head posted on top of the body. And then also showing the clip about how with the digital age, bodies are now manipulated to look a certain way, even more so than airbrushing has ever been done in the past. We're in like almost this whole new level of airbrushing and fixing the body. And I would just love to kind of hear your thoughts about, again, how this is all lending to that, you know, what we know is the impossible standards of how women's bodies should look and that, you know, it's the same story. We're just in a new format, in a sense.
2: Absolutely. I think they, they have a few different words for it, digital beauty makeup, digital (laughs) re-imaging and it's still that's another one of those kind of areas of secrecy I found that people didn't want to talk about obviously the work that was done who did what who asked for it as well did this come from the actor the production company actors even really aware of what is being done to their bodies but absolutely it's not different than the impossible beauty standards that are upheld in magazines that are you know traditionally airbrushed and up and slenderized in a million different ways that that is we have the ability now to do that with a moving image and to make people not only skin appear more perfect but their their bodies as well and it's it's very damaging it very concerning it's very costly so they're spending lots and lots of money to do this and I you know I hope that actors and audiences can can push back against this there's there's always like a few steps forward in this area you have great things like the dove campaigns and you have so many more different size models now you see that in film and tv to some extent mostly tv i would say but it's a blip, you know compared to what really is
1: out there i think the one that most i think probably just because i'm a mom just troubled me was the airbrushing of showing how that someone who'd had a baby and then they were manipulating the body to make it look like oh the stomach is flatter and everything uh, kind of erasing all the changes that the body had gone through to give birth and that one really just to kind of watch it in your film I think for yeah, again because I've had kids hit me hard though to go well wow just erase that entire experience from this woman's body and it's so interesting
2: recently Stacy Rooksire's show Sex Life the new season has a mom in it who's given birth and they show her kind of She's still a very petite woman, but they show her kind of saggy stomach area, and they they make a point of really, like, showing us what that looks like, and it was such a big deal, you know? Yeah, a step forward, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, my God, we're showing something that actually looks like real
1: life. That so many people have. Yeah, it's amazing. What surprised you most about making this film? What was something that you actually learned and you were just like, wow, I had no idea?
2: Well, I have to say there were many surprises. I don't really know what goes on on sets. I don't know how the you know the sausage is made, so to speak, and it's such a big machine. So I think. It wasn't like there was one thing that super surprised me, but that there was a real revelation of just what it might be like to take off your clothes in front of an entire crew and try to be intimate with a scene partner in these really awkward situations. I don't think I'd really understood what that was like. And to hear women over and over again say how they just left their bodies during these scenes because they thought they had to do them they felt unsafe and vulnerable and that there were there was
1: you know there was real psychological trauma from it i know in the film, me that's exactly some of the discussion is kind of about this idea of two things actually one us as the audience who are watching it we're seeing this kind of aggressive lovemaking which you point out which is kind of the forcing kissing and then oh but she really wanted it what is that telling you know younger audiences about power and consent and what is being sexually in a relationship with someone, all this messaging that's coming across. Then also to your point, women who are in these scenes, maybe there's something going on that makes them feel queasy, but they don't want to say anything because we've almost been so much programming is like, but don't make a fuss. Don't make the boss feel uncomfortable. Just get on with it and just do it. Why are you holding us up on set? Just keep going. And I just love to hear just you're pulling the curtain back on the wizard in a sense to say like, hey, like the messaging starts young when people are seeing these kinds of relationships on the screen. And then also how it's also what's happening actually and how the film itself is being made. I thought that was real interesting how they connected in that sense, the culture of it all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely the crux of the message is, you know, what are the messages that we're getting from the way these scenes unfold about – how to behave? What is sexy? How to get a romantic partner? How to be a woman? How to be a man? And that we don't have really great examples um, of that. And then on a you know more microscopic level, we're not seeing scenes that show consent. You know, that there just seems to be this glossing over of intimacy where all of a sudden people just embed or you're seeing kind of fragments of intimacy, but you're not really seeing how people negotiate that in kind of a a frank and healthy way. And I think that's definitely a loss to our culture. I can see that, that we really have a, a lack in terms of how to communicate sexuality and consent and boundaries, right? So that's the other side is that we see how actors themselves don't feel like they have abilities to give consent or provide boundaries. So it's a really vicious cycle. You know, there's a lot of pressure on these sets. There's a lot of money. People are really trying to break into this very difficult industry. They're, the times that they're being asked to perform nudity or intimacy are when they're the youngest and the most vulnerable and have the least sort of clout or management behind them and experience behind them and maybe mentorship. And for many years, women actors felt like they just had to, this was paying their dues and they didn't want to be seen as being difficult because that's a really sexist label that sticks, unfortunately the minute you speak up, in any industry. This is is not just the film industry that we're talking about. I'm I'm just very pleased now that there is this role of intimacy coordination who is a person that that can be a neutral party, not part of the power hierarchy. They can check in on all actors involved, and crew even, about how they're feeling, what their boundaries are, support services if they need them sometimes these are assault scenes and it's not just the victim in the scene it's the perpetrator that is you know having to do something that is difficult and and it's the crew that has to listen and watch over and over again so everybody's impacted by those kinds of of scenes of, of really sensitive material To me, it makes great sense, and it is shocking and surprising that it's taken so long to have this role of an intimacy coordinator, and I can absolutely see it as necessary and a vast improvement.
1: That's what I thought was interesting, because and the point of it being, we've had scent coordinators on film sets for years to make sure everything's safe and everyone's taken care of, and it is exactly, I was surprised as well, like, really? We just now figured out we should have an intimacy coordinator on set to kind of help. In your director statement, you write, you want people to make the connection between the images we see and how they affect our culture and what we've kind of touched upon. And this is also something that you explored in your other documentary, Wonder Woman, The Untold Story of American Superheroines. I'd love to just kind of hear as you're making these films, what role media literacy plays for parents and caregivers and why it's important that we talk with our girls and our boys about the media and just how and so they kind of understand those messages and be better lack of better words readers of what they're being fed and all these different directions either online on the big screen in the written work all these different ways it's coming at us in music well it's never too early to talk with your children about what they
2: watch and to cultivate that media literacy it's so important it's important for you know girls and boys um, it's important for everybody, because what we're seeing is not the world reflected, right? It's a, a, a version that somebody wrote and created and are profiting from. In many ways, you know, audiences, kids as well are being preyed upon and marketed to, right? So... It's it's so important to sit there and just watch what they watch and have those discussions and see what they're seeing. You don't always know unless you ask questions. And I've, yeah, my entire, much of my film work has been about the need for media literacy. And I think with media literacy comes the charge that you can ask for something better as an audience, that you can you know, support the work that speaks to you and ask for better representation, more diversity, more inclusion, better stories. And that, yeah, as a teacher, I'm also, you know, teaching the future creators of tomorrow.
1: What makes you hopeful about that next generation of filmmakers, the, you know, the discussions you're having in class?
2: Well, I, I do feel like I'm happy to see people approaching film as like we're reinventing the cinematic language or the gaze or the way in which the camera is held. And that's one of the things that I was interested in exploring in Body Parts as well is what are the different ways, not just the writing, not just the characters, but the way in which the the lens films, the way in which the camera is held, that there's ways in which you can speak to the interior space of the character or their subjective experience or you can not just feel like we're ogling someone on film in a scene and so I think the students that I've worked with seem very sensitive to that now and I'm you know we talk a lot about the gaze and the male gaze and female gaze and they're just exploring that and I think um, it's definitely ripe for reinvention
1: I always think it's interesting on camera angles, the most basic of being, if you want to look bigger, shoot with the camera, shoot up. If you want to make someone look smaller, stand on a platform, shoot them looking down. And you can see that play out in so many different ways when you're watching, especially when people are giving speeches, how they're being shot to look, if they're trying to look more powerful or more assertive or filling the screen in a sense. You know, to your point, helping our kids understand that they kind of can see when those angles are being played to convey someone in a certain way.
2: Yeah, and with my daughter, who's 10 now, you know, I I love that she'll point out things to me like, oh, look, that girl's not super skinny. That's her thing that she likes to point out. And so I think it's great that she's not only seeing the
1: artifice, but that she's noting something that's acting against it. One thing in Body Parts I noticed, did you shoot, you and your crew shoot your own sex scene or intimacy scene? Like, you know, just to kind of see what that was like to film people in that setting. Yeah,
2: well, we we did film a series of what we call recreations or reenactments, and partly to give the feel of what it's like to be on a film set, because it's hard to imagine if you haven't been on one before, what, what that experience might be like from the actor's point of view. And so we tried to do that through the audition to production process. It was pretty funny and ultimately culminating in a scene of intimacy, a sex scene. And we filmed that early on in the making of the film. Like many documentaries, this film took forever to make. It was like a five-year project. And that was one of the – really, it was more of a test scene, and I thought we might reshoot it. And so I, you know, had all these different actors – and they were in different couplings and we were shooting this intimacy scene and kind of creating what it would be like to be on the big set and we had our own crew behind the scenes of this fake big set and all of a sudden here I was directing an intimacy scene with you know not very much experience and certainly no intimacy coordinator because When I filmed it, it hadn't really been invented yet and I hadn't or I hadn't heard about it and they weren't commonly used. Now we don't have people doing a full on extended love scene. They're not really nude. They're wearing different coverings. But even in that, I was it was very scary for me. It was I felt it felt very quickly uncontrolled because there's so many things going on. And, you know, I was transparent with the actors and we talked about what they were comfortable with. And we had people on set helping out with robes and modesty garments and making sure there was no nothing touching anything of another person in terms of genitalia. But there's these in-between moments on set where you're all of a sudden I realized, God, anything could happen, I'm just trusting the other scene partner and, but they're really underneath the sheets with not a lot of clothes on waiting for us to get going. And, you know, one can only imagine in a more ruthless situation where the stakes are much higher, the budget's much higher, the director's much, you know, more powerful and that what, what can go wrong? So it was very eye opening. And, you know, definitely if I, I can't imagine I would, but if I ever were to do something like that, I would use the intimacy coordinator. And we were later on, even though we weren't doing a lot of intimacy at that point, we, you know, we did have one.
1: You have a lot of very wonderful, diverse actors from all walk of life. And by that, I mean, you have everyone from people who are very much what we call A-listers, Jane Fonda and kind of that group. Then folks who are also have been working for a long time, just may not have quite as much name recognition with the public, and then down to, as we pointed out, the body doubles who sadly have no name recognition but do quite a bit of work that we're all seeing. How did everyone react when you reached out to them about being part of this film and kind of exploring this facet of the film industry? What was the response? Well, it was
2: was hard to get people to agree to be in the film for a number of different reasons. And we're not Hollywood insiders, one, so we don't know these people. We're often cold calling their agents just based on some article or some film that we saw. And people are still very scared about speaking up about Hollywood and jeopardizing their career. So it was it was very difficult. But I, I think that one thing that was important was to have that range, that it's not just about the celebrities, right? Or in our case, you know, we interviewed celebrities like Jane Fonda who'd been around for years and years and years and felt very comfortable talking about things that happened in the past that weren't so great. And she was not worried, fearful of je- jeopardizing her career. She's in a very different situation mm-hmm. than a lot of other actors. But we wanted that range. We wanted the working class actors as, as Sarah Scott of herself which I think is so great because there are so many people out there like that and then the sort of student that's trying to become an actress and her perspective as well as the people that are in different you know the body doubles and in crew positions um, behind the scenes and the writers and creators so it was always important to have that tapestry of perspectives at different levels, because the potential for danger being taken advantage of is is different depending on where you're sitting. And to make sure that it was, you know, diverse in terms of age and experience, but also that we have women of color, that we have disabled women, queer women talking about their experiences.
1: What advice would you have for people who are interested in pursuing documentaries as a their outlet is what they want to do. Their calling is to make documentary films. What three pieces of advice would you give them for those who inspired to that?
2: Hmm. Well, I think what is great about a documentary is that you can go out there and start making it. You need a a tool (laughs) and you can go out and start, start filming something. So I think just starting it is the, the most important thing, but I think really, Figuring out what your unique perspective is and what you want to say, of course, is is as important. So finding that focus. I often have my students do a lot of writing to do that um, or brainstorming and really kind of thinking about that. You know, what is it that I'm saying that's different, that hasn't been said before? What perspective am I bringing? And I think stories important even big stories are in your own backyard. You know, your family, your community, there's all kinds of things going on that need to be seen or addressed or heard about and that you don't have to go too far afield necessarily. So it's, Similar in terms of creative writing, like write what you know. In documentary, I would say, you know, look around you, there's there's an important story in your family or in your community that, you know, probably needs to be told and that you bring a unique perspective in telling that as being someone
1: close to that story. Last question. What can we as audience members, how can we support documentary filmmaking? That's a great question. Well, go out and see
2: some documentaries. There's documentary film festivals in many, many communities. They're great places to see documentary works that you can't see elsewhere and to often see and hear from the filmmakers themselves and the subjects even. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of documentaries that are popular right now. I would encourage people to seek out the ones that are not necessarily True crime oriented or celebrity focused, but there's other, other documentaries on
1: all the streaming platforms. Um, and you know, that's,
2: that's a great way to support documentary.
1: Fantastic. Christy Guevara Flanagan. Thank you for being on girls that create today. Thank you. My pleasure. To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on Girls That Create on Word of Mom Radio. Make it a goal to watch some documentary films by female directors this summer. We will close out with our theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Aaron Prather Stafford.
0: She, sure. she is sure. she is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is